you guys have a horror story of your own. But uh, these are these are interesting. I'll read some of them. I was hired as a party host for a children's playland. I was the only adult who was allowed in the playground area, so half the job of coax- was coaxing the children out when their time was up. The slide was wet, and the lower half of the ball pit was socks and diapers. We had staff meals on the from the on-site cafe, and mid-afternoon we realized everyone had food poisoning when the character in the large fluffy suit vomited in the head of the costume. I had to guide them out with vomit pouring out the face mesh hole. I stayed another week after that. The next person in the character suit threw up because of the smell already in the head. Then they chemically cleaned the head, and the next person to wear it threw up and then passed out from the fumes. I had to drag an unconscious six-foot-tall rodent from a room of screaming and crying kids. He didn't last after that. Another guy. I got a temp job at an office going through files and shredding old documents. What they didn't tell me until I got there was that the shredder was actually a leaf shredder located on a loading dock. So in my nice first day at work clothes... I loaded a handcart with paper boxes, trekked through the hot Texas sun in August to this unair-conditioned loading dock and fed paper into this leaf shredder back and forth several times. And another one. I took a temp job from an agency while I was looking for a permanent position. I showed up and was told they forgot to cancel the request for a temp, but they let me work for the day anyway. They had me go through resumes for the people they were going to permanently hire into the position I was there for. (laughs) Icing on the cake was that I had bought new shoes the day before and made a fool of myself several times, tripping in front of everyone in the office. They probably wouldn't have kept me anyway. So the first day can be a little rough. We're going to look at someone's first day on the job today from Scripture. We're going to be looking at Joshua. At the beginning of the book of Joshua, chapter 1, we'll read the first five verses. This is Joshua's first day on a new job. He's uh, taking the place of Moses, who had, as it were, retired. The Bible says this, Now after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon, that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor forsake thee. Now just to put this into perspective, up until this point, Joshua was, as we spoke about earlier, kind of the number two guy. He was Moses' minister. He was the one that waited on Moses. He was the one that uh, basically did what Moses wanted him to do. We read about Joshua tarrying at the tabernacle 
When everyone else was gone, we read about Joshua ascending the mount with Moses as far as he was allowed to go and tarry there, waiting on Moses to come back. So we see the heart of Joshua, that it was to minister, that it was to serve. And now, according to the plan, uh, the plan of God, but in Deuteronomy we read about uh, Moses is not going to be able to cross this Jordan because of his disobedience. He struck the rock when he should have spoke to it. And so Moses pleaded with the Lord to set someone up in his place after he was gone. So the Lord chose Joshua. I think it was a good choice. He had already demonstrated his ability to follow orders. He had already demonstrated his ability to submit to authority. But it's a huge step coming from that position to filling the the shoes of Moses. And I think, I have to believe that Joshua was probably cognizant of that fact. That he's filling the role of Moses now. That the Lord is telling him that he is going to lead this great people. He is going to lead them into the promised land. He is going to do everything that Moses did. Two million plus people. Now he's in charge of them. That's got to be a sobering thought. God did all kinds of things through Moses. God spoke through Moses. God gave the law through Moses. God interpreted His law through Moses. Moses spoke wisdom, spoke instruction, spoke understanding. And all Joshua had to do was receive it. But now, the nation of Israel, all of their eyes are on Him now to lead them across. Moses had just died. And now Joshua had assumed that position by the will of God through His servant Moses. We've got to realize that as great as God's servants are, Should the Lord decide to tarry, they're going to be replaced. You may have a favorite preacher. I do. You may have a favorite teacher, a favorite pastor that you've sat under. I have that too. But at some point in time, they're going to pass on. That's, That's life in this world. But the plan of God does not pass on. The purpose of God moves on. It continues. God's servants die, but God does not. God's purpose does not. And so we see here, he states very matter-of-factly, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you go. It's your turn now. You're going to continue the work. You're going to carry on what Moses started. And when Joshua passes on, someone else is going to assume the mantle of leadership. And on and on and on. No matter how powerful and how mighty the servant of God is or seems to be, he is not irreplaceable. 
the people following that great man, that great woman. Now they have someone to aspire to. Because I promise you, (laughs) the man of God at the end of his life, at the end of his ministry, is no match for the young minister coming up behind him. He just doesn't have the experience. He just doesn't have the the, the wisdom and, and the know-how that that old elder had. And I think Joshua is probably cognizant of that. He realizes that. But the nice thing about this is that ultimately it's the Lord that does all of these things. It's the Lord working through an individual, through a body of people that sees His will enacted in this economy, in this temporal realm. And so, it's the it's the position of the the new guy or the new girl coming up behind that elder that I need to aspire to that. The same grace that was available to them is available to me. The same God that worked through them will now work through me. And you've got to believe that. Because it's not us. It's God. Our scripture text is Joshua's introduction to leadership, his marching orders, as it were. God, on Joshua's first day, he receives an impossible task. Take two million plus people, plus their, their wives and their children, and all of their cattle across this Jordan. Now realize that the Jordan is not just a, a, this little creek or creek, however you prefer, on the back 40. It's not something I can just jump across or wade real quickly through. At this point in time, it was harvest time, and the banks were swollen. You were not going to just wade across Jordan. So now we have an impossible task. But they've had impossible tasks before. God promised Joshua, I'm not going to fail you. I'm not going to forsake you. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. But he has this impossible task. Take him across Jordan. So what was his response? How did he respond to that? Did he start thinking, how am I going to do this? I'm the guy now. I'm the one responsible. How how am I going to make sure that this happens? Do we have enough wood to build boats for two million people? Can we build enough barges to get everyone across? Cattle, oxen, sheep. Or am I going to have to just trust in God? Like Moses did. This This was a test of faith for Joshua. How was he going to respond? We see God reiterates the bounds of the land he's going to give them, that he's promised to them. Now we know through history that they never did quite assume all of the land that was promised them. They came really close under King David, but they never quite got all of it. Why? When they crossed over, it seemed like a pretty big deal to them. 
It was a pretty important thing. It was important to God. God did all of this stuff so that they could get to the the promised land. He promised it to Abraham 430-odd years ago. And he kept reiterating that promise. This seems like a big deal to God. It was a big deal to them. They were excited. They were jacked. They were stoked. But eventually they weren't so stoked anymore. They got weary. They got tired. We discover that it's oftentimes a difficult thing to appropriate the promises of God in our lives. It's not a passive act. We're not just going to sit back and wait for God to honor all of His promises to us. We see a promise in Scripture. Well, fantastic. I'm just going to wait for it to happen. We know that's not how God's promises work. It's not a passive act. It's a very active activity to appropriate God's promises. In this particular instance, and we see the same today, battle was the only way to appropriate God's promised land. The only way to obtain the promised land was through battle. But in time they grew weary of war. Maybe we can relate. I know I can. Instead they settled down and learned to live with those other nations that God would have drove out before them. They decided that they had enough. This was good enough. We don't need any more. And so rather than continue to appropriate what God had given them, they pulled back, consolidated, and learned to live with those other nations. Until God finally said, I will no longer drive them out. I will use them to test you. To see whether or not you love me or no. To see whether or not you're going to obey my law or no. In our lives, it is, I've said this for a long time, I'm going to continue to say it. Christianity is not for the faint of heart. People look at Christians, oh, you just use that as a crutch. Oh, you're weak, that's why you're a Christian. (laughs) Quite the opposite. Quite the opposite. It takes true strength to be a, a, a biblical Christian. Maybe a denominal Christian, maybe a what the world would consider a Christian, maybe that, but a true biblical Christian, that takes courage, that takes strength. It takes strength and courage to appropriate God's promises. It takes strength and courage to go out and continue fighting for the will and plan of God to manifest itself in your life. And that's exactly what it's going to take. I'm not even talking about winning the city, winning the county. I'm talking about what God wants to do in your life. That's going to take courage. That's going to take strength because all of hell is going to come against that. We're a fool if we think that's not going to happen. If Satan is just going to sit back and let us follow the plan of God to fruition. 
He won't. He will resist that every, every chance he gets. He's on a leash. He needs permission. But from time to time, God's going to give him permission for our benefit. This is not a passive activity. It's a very active one. And when God gives us a promise, we have to fight to obtain it. Why does God give us these promises, these exceeding good and precious promises? For our benefit. Why did God give the nation of Israel the promised land? Oh, one, because He could. It was His to give. Two, in judgment for those nations that were there already, who were in disobedience to the will and plan of God. God promises to Joshua the same presence, the same anointing, the same miraculous confirmations as there was with Moses. Moses and Joshua, though, were not the same people, were they? They were entirely different people, different personalities. They were called out of different circumstances. They were called for different circumstances. Moses was called to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. When Moses failed in that one area, now God called Joshua to finish the work, to lead my people into the promised land. That was his task. That was his calling, to lead God's people into the promised land. Joshua was the new guy following in the footsteps of an elder minister. I have no idea what that's like. The same grace and the same God was available to Joshua as was available to Moses. Realize that God chooses the right tool for every circumstance. Not necessarily the best one. But it's always the right one. Understanding again, it's not the individual that does the work, but God through the individual. All God really needs is somebody that's submitted to Him. And available to Him. That's it. That's all God needs. God can provide the talent. God can provide the wisdom. God can open the paths. He can provide the funds. He can, do, he can take care of all of that. But He needs somebody that's going to obey Him. And He needs somebody that's available to be used by Him. That's it. You got this guy over here with all the talent and ability in the world. But he's full of himself. He's going to do things his way. And then you got this poor wretch over here who can't probably think his way out of a wet paper sack. But he loves God. And he's submitted to God. And he's going to do what God tells him to do. And he's available. He's waiting on God. God's going to choose this person here. And he's going to get all the more glory when this person starts doing the miraculous, starts doing the mighty things in in God. 
Because it's God that's doing the work. So God is not always going to choose the best person for the job, but He always chooses the right person for the job. God speaks specifically to Joshua and says, I will not fail thee nor forsake thee. God will never forsake him. He is always present in our situation. But that's not enough just to realize that. Yes, he is present in whatever situation you're going through. Good, bad, and indifferent. He's there with you in the midst of it. He'll walk with you through it with you. But we've got to acknowledge His presence in the middle of our storm. We've got to turn to Him. We've got to ask Him. And then we've got to do what He tells us to do. Otherwise, it, it doesn't matter that He's there or not. God's not going to butt in. God's not going to force Himself on you. He's there. He's available. But we've got to come to Him and ask. When we do, He's there to help. He's there to encourage. He's there to minister. He's there to strengthen. He's there to take care of the situation so that we can pass through unharmed. His presence stayed with Israel despite their murmurings and their complaining and their utter faithlessness. God won't forsake us. We forsake Him. But He never forsakes us. God will not fail. Not you, not anyone, ever. Period. It's a ludicrous thought to think that He could fail. When you have infinite power, when you have infinite knowledge, when you're everywhere at the same time, how can something like that, someone like that, fail? When he can rewrite the laws of physics, he can wipe all of reality out and bring it back into existence. And you would never know. He has the power to do that. He has the authority to do that. How is he going to fail? Once we're convinced that he can't fail, now we've got to be convinced that he won't fail. We get it in our heads that He might fail to keep one of His promises to us for many reasons. I used to struggle with this because I'm obviously not worthy. I'm not worthy to receive anything good from God. I'm worthy to receive judgment. I'm worthy to receive condemnation. But I'm not worthy to receive anything good from this holy and righteous God. Now, that's not true, of course. God creates me in me someone who is worthy of a relationship with Him, who is worthy to receive His good things. Thank God for that revelation. But it could be many reasons why you struggle with the idea that God will honor His promise to you. He will honor His promise to you. Because something else God is not, is He's not a liar. He is truth incarnate. His Word is truth. 
Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Every word that comes out of his mouth is truth incarnate. Fundamental truth. He cannot lie. So when he gives us a promise, when he tells us something, it will most certainly come to pass. Not always in our time frame, not always when we'd like to see it, but it will, regardless, come to pass. What does it mean? This might be off topic just a little bit. What does it mean to be apostolic? We claim to be apostolic. We do. We follow the apostles' doctrine. We preach and we teach what they preached and taught. We believe how they believed. But do we act like they acted? Do we accomplish what they accomplished? Being apostolic, we need to be apostolic in more than word only. Part of being apostolic is trusting God implicitly, no matter the circumstance, no matter the situation. We understand that we have these exceeding good and precious promises delivered to us. We understand that. We preach about it. We rejoice about it. We, we sing songs about it. I love the promises of God. If it were just salvation that were available to me, that would be amazing. That would be more than I could ever hope for. And yet God gives us so much more than even that. He gives us all of these promises. He wants to deliver these gifts to us, these good things to us daily. Loading us down with benefits. And even though we read about the character of God, we've experienced the character of God, how He feels toward us, how His mind is continually thinking of us, how His thoughts toward us are good only. And yet, at the first opportunity, it's very easy for us to begin to distrust Him. To start thinking, He's got something against me. He hates me. It's very easy for us to slip into that mindset. We are apostolic. We do preach and teach the Apostles' Doctrine, all of it, every bit of it. We believe every word of it. If it's in Scripture, if it's in the Word of God, we preach it and we teach it. We do our very best in submission to the will of God to follow it. If it's not in Scripture, well, maybe it's something worth pursuing and maybe not. As long as it doesn't contradict Scripture. But if it's in the book, we follow it. Including His promises. Every one of the promises of God. 
are ours to appropriate. But again, that's not just something we can sit back and wait for it to happen. It takes work. It takes activity. It takes uh, effort. Sometimes a lot of it. To wait on God. To trust in God, even when everything else is telling us something entirely different. But we've got to stand. We've got to stand for truth. After these proclamations were made to Joshua, we start seeing a recurring theme for the remainder of the chapter. One I've already touched on. Be strong and have a good courage. Three times God tells Joshua to be strong and to have courage. Once the people of Israel tell Joshua to be strong and to have courage. Reasons. God tells Joshua to be strong and have a good courage because I'm going to use you to fulfill my promise to my people. Joshua is in the perfect will of God here. You can't get more perfect than this. When God is telling you, this is where I want you, this is what I want you to do. Can't get any clearer than that. He's in the perfect will of God. In crossing this Jordan and conquering the land of Canaan. That's the plan of God. That's the command of God. It's going to take courage to do that, though. How is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? What, what, I mean, how do I go about doing this? Which one do I do, which city do I attack first? How do I attack? When you start getting into the details of a, of a, a plan, a, a command, it starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger. All of these little fine details. <laughs> I do not like fine details. I'm not good with them. My wife is amazing with them. That's why I love her so much. One reason I love her so much. <laughs> I'm a big picture person. I, I can get the overall picture. This is what we need to do. This is where we need to go. But how do we do that? Honey? How are we going to do this? <laughs> oh, details are my kryptonite. But the details are important. I've found that out many a time. They are so very important. You miss, a, you miss one or two, and the whole thing falls apart. It unravels. They're important. And so Joshua is probably, I can imagine, thinking about this. How is this going to happen? Do I, who do I send to the front? Do I hold some back? How, how is this going to be conducted? How are these campaigns going to be conducted? It's going to take courage to follow the plan of God in his life. God's not asking him to do easy things. God's not asking him to do light or transient things. Joshua is going to be used by God to fulfill the promise he's given his people for 430 years. That's huge. That's awesome. 
Now Joshua is feeling the weight of that. It's going to take courage. It's going to take strength to follow that plan. It's going to take courage and strength to follow God's plan for your life. Because again, God's not going to ask you to do anything easy. He's not going to ask you to do anything light. You can do that on your own. I don't need God to get up in the morning and dress myself. I could be a complete atheist and dress myself. So God causes me to have an accident, and I'm, I'm a blithering idiot then because I hit my head on the cement. And He takes that ability away from me. But God has given us some basic abilities. He's given us a brain. He's given us the ability to, to reason and, and to, to learn and to grow. And so, we don't need God to do the easy things. What we need God for is to do the impossible. And that's exactly what God is going to task you with, is the impossible. Because that's where God comes into play. That's where, that's where we need to step aside and say, I can't cross Jordan. I can't bring two million people across. Not without a whole lot of boats. You've got to do this. And that's when God starts doing things. That's when God starts moving. When He starts revealing his, Himself to this world. When we start doing things, everyone knows we can't do that. Everyone knows we don't have the ability to do that. We pray for someone, we lay hands on someone, and God heals them. People ought to know that's not you that healed the person. It's God that healed the person. We pray for someone to receive the Holy Ghost. They start speaking in tongues. In the book of Acts, <laughs> what's his name? Simon? The sorcerer? Wanted to purchase the gift of God. That looks pretty cool. I want to be able to do that. Lay my hands on people and they get the Holy Ghost. It's not for sale. It's not something that you can purchase. It's not, it's not Peter's ability to do that. It's God working through Peter. It's God that does the work. But the ministry God has called you to, the task that He's created you for, is not something easy. It's something impossible. And when you start moving toward that impossible task, God is going to kick in. Where your strength fails, where your intellect fails, where your abilities fall off, God is going to kick in from that point. And you're going to see Him do amazing things. A lot of you have already seen God do amazing things. But God's work is not complete. It's not done. His task is not finished. He is going to continue to work in and through each of you His perfect will. You're going to need to be strong and courageous to observe and to do all my law, God says to Joshua. Isn't that the truth? God tells Joshua it's going to take a strong and courageous individual to obey God consistently. Again, Christianity is not for the faint of heart. It's not an easy, light, transient thing to just, yep, yeah, now I believe in Jesus. There are a lot of people that believe in Jesus for business purposes. 
It's good for business. Look at all the contacts I can make at church. That's not Christianity. That's a business decision. True Christianity is something else entirely. And it's going to take strength and it's going to take courage to get there and to stay there. We cannot turn to the right hand or to the left. As the saying goes, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. Some people today want to emphasize the love of God, the mercy of God, to the exclusion of everything else. I'm thankful for His love. I, 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 I rejoice in the fact that He's a God of mercy. That's not all He is. There are others who take it to the other extreme and they want to, they want to preach, you've got to have your sleeves down to here and your skirt down to here or you're going to go to hell. Well, that's the other ditch. That's not the plan of God either. There's a middle ground here that we need to stay on. We need to preach all the book. We need to believe in all of God. His love and His mercy and His holiness and His righteousness. They're both God. They're all God. He's all of those things. We need to understand that He is a God of mercy. When I slip up and fail, I can come to Him and and repent. And He'll forgive me. He delights in forgiveness. But I also need to understand, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. We need to understand both sides of this. We can't just have one to the exclusion of, of all of the others. We need to preach all the book. We need to preach all of God. Okay, be strong and of a good courage because God commands it. God reiterates here to Joshua that he will be with him whithersoever he goes. No matter where God takes Joshua, he's going to be there with him. So it's okay to continue to say yes to him. God, you're leading me in some dangerous areas. It's okay. You can say yes to that because I'm with you. These missionaries who, who leave the comfort of the United States and go to these, these areas that are in the middle of war. Other areas that are Christians are persecuted. But they say yes anyway. Why? Because they got a death wish. No, they don't have a death wish. They want to follow the plan of God. They're obedient to the voice of God. And they're okay with it. Because God is the one that led them there. If God commands us to do something, He's going to give you the ability to follow through with it. And God's commands aren't always going to be things that we like. They're not going to be always things that we enjoy doing. But they're the best thing for us. It's okay to say yes to God. It's okay to trust Him when He leads us into difficult and strange areas. Because He's with us in the midst of it. The people. 
exhorted Joshua to be strong and of a good courage, and that they would submit themselves to him even unto death. Joshua was the leader now, by the plan of God. God was the leader, okay? But Joshua was his servant. Joshua was the man. God was going to work through Joshua now like he did with Moses. So all eyes were now affixed to him. The nation of Israel was looking to Joshua for leadership. What would happen if Joshua encountered a situation and he was afraid? What would that do to the nation of Israel? They would be afraid. If Joshua doesn't trust God, how can we trust God? If Joshua's fearful, I'm not going there. If Joshua was, would end up fearful, then his faith and his confidence would not be in God who miraculously led them these 40 years. I don't know what else God could have done to demonstrate and to reiterate and to emphasize the fact that God was with them, that God was going to fight for them, that everything God did was for their benefit. I don't know what more he could have done. He did miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, despite the fact that they were continually faithless. They would never believe in him. They would never trust him. They'd rejoice in the miracle. They'd be thankful for it. That's good. But the very next situation that arose, they'd be the exact same way, murmuring, complaining. Would to God that we were back in Egypt. Why did you lead us out here, Moses, to die in the wilderness? There's nothing more God could have done to show himself to to his people, to demonstrate how he felt about them. But if Joshua ended up being afraid, then his confidence was not in God. It was in himself. And in that case, he'd have every right to be afraid. But if our confidence is in God, church, if our confidence and our trust and our expectancy is truly in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no reason for us to be afraid. None at all. God has demonstrated himself in our lives time and time and time again. We see all through Scripture how that God demonstrates himself to his people reveals himself to his people in love and in compassion and in mercy. How he fights for his people. How he defends us. Ultimately, how he suffered on a cross and died for us. If Joshua was afraid, then the people would believe that God was not with them and that their purpose here was thwarted. you got to understand, there was one time in their history where this happened, right? They disobeyed God when they were going to cross over Jordan the first time. Remember that account? They wanted to stone Joshua and Caleb for bringing a good report. God said, fine. None of you are going to cross over. You're going to die here in the wilderness. And your children, who you said would be a prey in that, in that land, 
They're the ones that are going to go and conquer. And then they had a change of heart the next day. We've sinned. We're ready to go. And Moses said, don't go. God is not with you. That was his exact words. God is not with you. If you go, he's not going with you. They went anyway. And they got beat back. Their worst fears were realized. Why? Because God wasn't with them. They were disobedient to the will of God. It's amazing what one day can, the difference one day can make, huh? The difference one choice can make. To say yes to God or to say no to God. So if God was not with them, their purpose was thwarted. There's no way they can do this without God. If Joshua was not strong and courageous, he might be led by the opinions of the people and not by God. How many times would it have been very easy for Moses to just give in to popular opinion? Popular opinion was always against him. Always. He was never very popular until after he died. Kind of like artists, right? Their art is worthless until they die. Then everybody wants to buy their art. <laughs> Moses. It was a slog for him every step of the way. He could very easily have given in to popular opinion. But he never did. Not once. He stayed true to the commandments of God. He stayed true to the plan of God. God told him to move. Moses gave the command to pack up and move. Time to stop. Moses gave the command to stop. Moses was always obedient to the voice of God. Except once. <clears throat> we cannot be led by the opinions of people. We cannot be led by general consent. We cannot be led by uh, majority vote, majority rule. All of that is irrelevant. We are ruled by the voice of God. That's our rule. The Word of God is our rule. If the entire world stands against it, God stands for it. And that's a majority. That's a majority with me. That's a majority with us. All that matters is God is, we're right with God. We're not going to be right with the world. The world is going to hate you for taking a stand for holiness and for righteousness and for godliness. The world is going to despise you for your belief in a creator God. That's okay. They can do what they want to do. They can believe however they want to believe. God's given them that authority. He gave me that authority. I'm choosing Jesus. I pray that they do too. But my life is not going to be led by how they feel. They hate God. The world hates God. Why would I care what they think? Why would I care what they say? 
I love God because He first loved me. His opinion is all that matters to me. God tells Joshua that the key to his victory would be obedience to God's Word. We know this already. We need to know the Word of God. We need to put it in our mouth, meditate upon it continually, memorize it, saturate our minds and spirits with God's Word. And then we need to do it. We need to be obedient to it. All of it. Every verse in the book, we need to be obedient to it. The Word of God is not given to humanity in general. The Word of God is given to you specifically. It's God's Word to you. That's how you've got to see it. Every chapter and every verse is written for your admonition, for your instruction, for your correction, for your perfection. I can't do anything about what people choose to do with their lives. I can't even do anything about what people choose to do with their lives in here. I can exhort, I can encourage, I can preach and teach, and I'm going to continue to do that. But at the end of the day, it's your choice. You can follow the plan of God for your life or not. You can choose to come back next service or not. Please come back. I like seeing you here. <laughs> Amen. <clears throat> but at the other end of the spectrum, my salvation is is assured whether anybody comes back or not. As long as I'm doing what I'm supposed to do, my salvation is assured. It's not predicated on what you do. Your salvation will be assured if you follow the plan of God, no matter what I do. The Bible exhorts us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean we get to choose how we're saved. But that means that our salvation is our responsibility. No one else's. What success is God referring to here? Well, certainly not worldly success. Spiritual success. Success accomplishing the will and plan of God for your life. Success in pleasing God. Success in making it to heaven. These are the successes that we're interested in. If you, however, become rich, fabulously wealthy, I'll be the first to celebrate with you. You're buying. Because <laughs> you're the one that's rich. <laughs> well, I'll be glad to celebrate. We'll go have a nice meal. Talk about all your success. That'd be I'd be awesome. I have nothing against that. Everything for it. But don't let it take the place of God. Don't let money take the place of God in your life. And I know we preach about rich people a lot, but poor people often have a more difficult time with money than rich people do. Poor people oftentimes, however you want to define poor, uh, most of us would probably at one point or another put ourselves in that classification. 
just not quite enough money to make it the rest the, the whole month. Our mind starts getting fixed on money a lot when we don't have it. How do I get it? How do I obtain it? I don't have enough. I need more money. And we start getting fixated on it. We don't need more money. We need more God. We need more trust in God. God said that He would provide for us. If we take care of His business, He's going to take care of our business. We can trust in that. Or can't we? Maybe we can't trust God. Maybe He's just setting us up for a fall here. I mean, that's the only other alternative, right? He's not doing it out of ignorance. God's not ignorant. He has all knowledge. He has all understanding. So either he's going to follow through with it, or he's lying to us on purpose. You're going to have to decide which one it is. I've decided in my life, he's going to follow through with it. He has followed through with it. Every time I put my trust and my hope in him, he has never let me down. Not once. Not once. He's cut, cut it close a few times. Right down to the razor's edge. I don't know why he likes doing that. But he does that. <laughs> but he always comes through. He always will come through. Because he promised it. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to forsake you. He's not going to leave you hanging when you need him the most. That's when he's going to be there the most powerful. That's when he's going to be there the, the quickest. Is when you need him the most. In conclusion, how did Joshua respond? Verses 10 and 11 of Joshua chapter 1 says this, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the host and command the people, saying, Prepare you... I guess that's actually pronounced vittles. I said victuals for a long time. But it's vittles. I would have never believed it. Prepare you vittles, <laughs> for within three days ye shall pass over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you to possess it. Joshua responds absolutely perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. Get ready. Prepare yourselves. Because in three days you're crossing over and you're going to start taking the promise of God. He still doesn't know how it's going to happen. He doesn't know if they're going to float over, if God's going to divide the waters again, or, or some third option. But what he does know is they're crossing over. And he's speaking faith. He's speaking confidence to the people. He responds perfectly. Amen. In our lives, how do we, re how do we respond to the will of God, to the command of God when we receive it, when we hear it? Do we respond in faith? Do we respond in confidence? Or is our faith a little bit lacking? We can respond in absolute confidence because God is with us and He will not leave us or forsake us. Amen. Let's all stand.
I am so thankful for you, Lord Jesus, for your so great salvation. Thank you, Lord, for suffering on a cross and dying in my place, making all of this available to us, to me, a relationship with you, an eternity with you. I pray, God, as we move from this this place and we move forward, that we would continue to move forward in your plan and in your will. Help us, I pray, to hear the voice of God and to do the voice of God in everything that you command us to do. Help us, Jesus, I pray, to fulfill your plan for our lives, to be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. Bless the remainder of our service, I pray. Help us to receive the whole counsel of God in these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We'll take a four, no, 15. Be back a quarter till.